0: So I think like we can just go ahead and you know maybe start with this. So you know, welcome back to O Karma, where art thou? I mean, even though we've been sitting, uh, even though we've been sitting at home, or at least but, I've been sitting at home yeah, for the past few weeks. Yeah,
1: settling into the new normal, I think is yeah, kind Yeah,
0: settling of, into the new normal. Um, it's kind of remarkable how, in one of our last episodes, we talked about. How often a revolution Or great upheavals In a society and great societal Change comes about Because of external forces Right so in, in that Context that we were talking about a, a few weeks ago it was well, World War I you know fundamentally Changes Russian society Exposes many of its Weaknesses um, And helps lead the Bolsheviks to power And on top of that what we also talked about was how in attempting to respond to the World War I, right, this sort of great um, transformative historical event, the czarist government sort of created some of the playbook that the Bolsheviks themselves would later on use. So it's this idea of focusing on historical continuity even in moments of great, of great change. Right. And how often those you know, there's more in common, I suppose, with the old regime and the new regime than we would like to believe. Uh, and so I think in light of everything that's happened, it's good to return to that. I mean, especially because with the global you know coronavirus pandemic, we are we are living in a transformative historical moment like it may not seem like it. For those of us who are, you know, stuck at home or, you know, maybe haven't been uh, significantly impacted by the virus yet, but this is one of those moments, right? I mean, we, we talked about, like, we've mentioned that Lenin quote before, like, you know, there are decades where nothing seemingly happens, and then there are days when it seems like everything happens. And, right. and I think that we are living in one of those moments where the world is going to be profoundly different uh, when this is all over, whenever that is, well, you know, different... I'm not a virologist, like I'm not a scientist, I'm not going to make any predictions about when these quarantines will end when we can go home or go home. Well, actually, for yeah, for some people go home. Yeah. Um, for others, you know, go back to work, return to, you know, for lack of a better word, like a sense of normalcy. And and that word right there, normalcy is sort of going to be the the theme of today's show and in that you know i think andrew and i are on the same page and that we both agree that we don't think that we're going to go back to some sort of pre-virus time and it's going to be like i don't want to say it's going to be like this never happened but you know people will just sort of be like oh man you know coronavirus that sucked can't wait to go out to the bar and you know meet everybody like i'm sure that's going to happen but in terms of like what happens to the United States, the United States government, the uh, like the citizens of the United States government's attitude towards it, uh, and then really all citizens of governments throughout the world, I think are going to be profoundly different. So today we're going to be talking about, you know, sort of two things, I think. One is, you know, is the coronavirus pandemic the great external shock that we've talked about previously that is sort of exposes the, the problems in in U.S. and Western society and other societies for that matter uh, and leads to some sort of transformative change and then the um, you know the second thing that we're going to talk about is you know what what is it like to live in one of these events you know especially when to us now it seems like no one has a plan for anything. Nobody knows what's going on. We're all living day-to-day, yet when we look back in time, right, when we look back at history, you know, history always to us seems inevitable, right? Like, these right. forces came into play, you know, the Bolsheviks took over, and, like, you know, as the expression goes, like, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, of course the Bolsheviks were going to come out on top in the Russian Revolution. Like, of course, the United, S- the North was going to win the Civil War, the U.S. Civil War. You know, of course, George Washington was going to lead American troops to significant victories. You know, it, of course, it seems that way to us now. But we have to remember that so much of history are, is not like planned, for lack of a better word. Like, well, a lot of it is just people living day by day not knowing what's going to happen and and doing the best they can with the information that they have. And so I think it's important to look back at other historical moments. You know, we can go back to the Russian Revolution. You know, we can go back to the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and look at how there were so many people that had no idea what tomorrow was going to bring, what the future was going to hold. So I think in a moment like that, or a moment like we're living in now, it's important to remember that. Um, So I think we'll begin by, you know, revisiting that topic. So, I mean, Andrew, I I guess I'll pose the question for you, like, how do you think the coronavirus is going to fundamentally reshape American society, politics, the economy, like all of that?
1: Well, so this is, I I wanted to hit on something that you kind of brought up, like, think over the last I mean basically since the 2016 election and I felt that we've been living in a very you know in a a historical moment something that has been really brought into focus for me is how the hindsight of history causes things to appear as though they're moving faster than they are right Uh, does that make sense Right, like we look at, we look at historical crises in a history book, and it's years X from to Y. So I mean, (coughs) let's talk about like the nineteen the nineteen eighteen flu pandemic, right? Like that that actually lasted about two years, and when you're looking at it in a history book from the with the context of, like, oh, it was just after the end of World War One, and shortly before the Great Depression, and it's, you know, the 1918. It does not seem like it is that long of a time. But now that we're actually living it, can you imagine if they said that, oh, this is going to last two years? Yeah, this, no, whole, this whole thing is going to be going two years. That seems like an eternity. And I think there is something to be said about the... How boring and how a lot of experiencing crises is kind of a, a hurry-up-and-wait sense, right? Like, this is, this is what you're talking about, the, the decades where nothing happens and then weeks where decades happen, where it seems like for most of this time what we're doing is we're just sitting around, waiting, waiting. And you know, maybe part of that has to do with the fact that we're all doing like the social distancing and isolating ourselves and, you know, doing and, you know, not going out and seeing people, or at least you shouldn't be going out and seeing people. Um, but this, it, it, it creates a weird kind of dissonance in that. I'm constantly being told on the news and on social media and from you know all the experts that this is a crisis. This is a this is this is historically bad. And yet my experience with it is that okay, I am just sitting at home all the time and I'm getting Caught up on my Netflix backlog and getting caught up on podcasts and you know working from home, and that's I mean, that is it doesn't feel like it's a crisis, right? Like, there's no Mm -hmm. there isn't like an overwhelming sense of urgency. Um, I, I think to answer the question of do I think this is um, this is a thing that does it like if this is the event i don't know it it seems like it should be um but then you know i was also thinking as you're talking i'm thinking of in the life experiences that i've had so i'm 30 years old i was born in 1989 i think you're you're what 32 i was born in 1986 so
0: so, i turned 34 this year
1: okay so we're but we're in our 30s so i'm trying to think of major life defining events for people our age you might have been you might have been old enough to remember the fall of the soviet union i wasn't i don't really have any uh, you know my
0: first memories are were of my i don't remember the collapse of the soviet union i i don't um i do remember the gulf war okay the first gulf war and what i remember about that was watching like my parents watching cnn because like at that time that was the like only channel that you know did the 24 hour type thing right right (laughs) and i remember as they were as the iraqi forces were retreating out of kuwait they lit the oil fields oil fields yeah right and i remember those images of just fire right uh, yep. On TV, and that's that's really the first thing that I remember. Um, and so what? I would have been about five, six years old at the time. Um, anything really before that, I, I don't. I don't really remember. I mean, obviously for me, and I'm sure this is true for you, Andrew. Uh, well, I mean, I guess there was like you know Bill Clinton and, and the whole impeachment saga. Yeah. Uh,
1: his.
0: I mean, I sort of remember that, and like the adults talking about it. I mean, I remember OJ, sort of the same thing. Like everybody glued to the TV, watching what was happening, I think... uh, and sort of not really grasping it myself. And then, of course, like you know, for me, and I think so many people of our generation, you know, nine eleven was like the watershed. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think that's I think that's fair, and I think that's that that's a pretty good. You know, I don't want to say that that I speak for everyone. Like I, I, you know, as much as. I like to think of myself as a voice of all millennials. Like, I'm not, you know, we're not that. But I I do think, at least to me, a lot of the stuff that, I don't want to say, like, everything other than pop culture, but, like, a lot of the political stuff in the 90s was kind of, like, background noise. Like, I, I am aware of, I was aware of Bill Clinton when I was, you know, like, five or six or whatever. Um, I remember seeing like the stuff about Lewinsky on the news. I don't remember what any of that meant. So yeah, I think uh, I think September 11th was like the very first major. Well, I will I will put I will let me let me let me take that back. I will say that actually like first real kind of memory of like oh this is really fucked up um and this is really not good was the 2000 election right like because oh, right. that was yeah, that no, was something I... that that it was just like this is not and it, it's not it's not that i would have been would have been 10 at the time um yeah i mean i was 14 i would have been was, 11, or 11 yeah, I would have been eleven. Yeah. Um so I was eleven at the time. I didn't know why it was bad. I didn't know why it was like you know, like it it it, it wasn't normal, right? Like this was the first yeah. this was the first kind of like the shattering of the sense of normalcy came when I was yeah. eleven. And then you have September eleventh in two thousand one, which yep. I mean that you know, that's a major. That was, that's like a major life-defining experience for that was a lot of people. That was the
0: first event for me where I knew right away that my life was never going to be the same.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: and, and I'm not saying that the other these other events didn't have a profound impact on on anything uh, or on how I felt, but like well, but, 9/11 was the moment where I was like, "Wow, this you know."
1: Is, so, and it's and it's this is i, I really. I don't know if you actually meant to do this with your word choice there, but, like, that's really kind of the point that I'm getting at. Like, this is the first time I knew my life was never going to be the same. Well, we had another one of those times in 2003 when we invaded Iraq, right? Like, for me, that was like, (coughs) oh, yeah, like, this this is another this changes everything moment. And then in 2008, when the whole financial system melts down, this changes everything. My life is never going to be the same. And I, you know, I think definitely for more people, for for some people more than others, like, the Trump, Trump election was kind of like that, where it's like, my life is never going to be the same because of this. Um, and now, here we are again, with another moment where it's another historical moment where... My life is never going to be the same, yeah, and it's just I think there is something to be said, and I don't know what the long term effects of this are going to be for people our age or how this is going to be you know how this um, how this matters in terms of like is this a, um, a you know is this the shock that's necessary type, type discussion, but, like, there, there is a sizable population that has seen these historical moments that you would have, if looked at in a vacuum, you would have said, oh, yes, this is the type of thing that causes revolution. This mm-hmm. is the type of thing that causes um, across-the-board political change and a complete restructuring of the way things are done. And there's a sizable population of people that have seen those moments come and go and you know certainly certainly in some some ways they have had that effect, right? Like uh, society was completely overhauled and changed in the wake of September 11th, right? Like there was there was in, you know, if you really want to I think I think in some ways there was kind of a revolution after 9-11, right? Like, we completely changed the way that we view um, the civil liberty versus security state balance in American <coughs> culture. Um, and I also think in 2008, after the financial meltdown, you know, there was an attempt— at that complete overhaul and complete restructuring of the way things are done and the way society is built, right? Because you have Obama getting swept in uh, on a landslide victory. Um, The Democrats are given super majorities in both houses. I mean, if there is ever a time where that should be, okay, we are going to completely rebuild society to address the systemic issues that got us here it should have been that and of course you know we all know what happened is that they didn't do that and so yeah. now here we are again looking at more of these um, well go ahead. so it, we're looking at more of these um my life will never be the same moment and so while i think in the vacuum yes like this should be this should be something that causes society to reflect and uh, undergo the hard work of you know, re how it's going to be built, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, like, I, I think it's, on the one hand, I think it's impossible that we go back to the way things were and on the other hand, I would not be surprised if people just went about their daily life and and tried to bury bury their head in their sand and pretend that this didn't happen. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, here's you know here's the thing
0: about that though. Um, and again, like no historian or anyone looking at the past can predict the future. So I don't want to pretend like I can like I can do that. But I mean, at the same time, like if we're talking about uh, like, say, the build-up to the Russian Revolution, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tsar estate, you know, is brought to its knees uh, in 1905 by the first Russian Revolution. Uh, it survives, right? right? And a lot of leftists and others think that the moment has been lost forever uh, and that there'll never be another sort of serious chance at, at, at a revolution in Russia. And lo and behold, you know, 13 years later... Um, the moment you know arises uh and so I, I don't know if i mean again i don't know if we're necessarily going to have a revolution I, I don't think that that i mean i i well, don't it, know I mean, if that's going to be the case it depends, but, like how but even you define, something like it
1: depends how you define revolution right like i'm not well talking, i was
0: thinking of something like the new deal right
1: yeah, okay yeah like
0: like this sort of great societal change in the 1930s where the role of the government and and citizens' attitudes of the government are fundamentally changed, right? right? I mean, you had, you know, Herbert Hoover as president who essentially has the conservative mantra that is being, you know, voiced by some now, which is, look, like the government has no business uh, getting involved in helping the economy and helping put people back to work And, you know, that's the job of private industry. And, of course, you know, we all know how that went, right? Right. You know, Roosevelt defeats Hoover and arguably could have been a six-, seven-, eight-term president if he'd lived long enough, you know, right? Like, builds, you know, the New Deal coalition. And so I do wonder if that is sort of the moment that we're going for. Um, I mean, for me, like, you know, we go back to what we talked about last week and how the mobilization of society for total war um, the surveillance state uh, during World War I that was adopted by nearly all the belligerents, right? Um, the clear like delineation between um, a loyal elements of society and traitors and you know what you do with them, um, these sort of like imaginary restraints that we are constraints, I should say that we put on the economy and what it's possible to do with it. Uh, how all of those were essentially removed. Right, and in, and in some levels in Russia, right, it was the Tsar state that removed them first, and the Bolsheviks just took it a step further. Right, they kept they kept going. Uh, they took a wartime state and really just never demobilized it. I mean, that was sort of like if you want to know uh, last week's episode in a nutshell, like that was essentially it. Right, right. That the Bolsheviks took a state that was mobilized for total war and you know really never began to ratchet it down until after the death of Stalin. Um, Here, you know, I think that some profound things are on their way because, you know, as you said, like this virus has exposed so many holes in our society. And I mean, we knew that they were there before. Right. I mean, it's not like the scales have fallen from some people's eyes and we're like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. But, you know, you look at someone like Andrew Yang, who said, hey, maybe we should consider universal basic income. Right. His, you know, the freedom dividend. And what was the backlash against that? Oh, you know, that'll never work. Americans, we we wouldn't do something like that. Like, that's a, you know, European socialist type thing. That would never work here. Well, if people still think that, like, please, you can send your stimulus checks to me. I will gladly deposit them in my bank account. I will (laughs) gladly spend them for you if you don't want that government assistance. Um, right. I, I think that most people are not going to bat an eye at, at receiving that sort of payment from the government. So then I think the question becomes people start asking, OK, well, sure, like, you know, this was during a crisis, but why not extend this even more? Or, you know, you read about states, uh, certain states, I think like Florida, I've read a lot about this, where like the whole unemployment insurance System there is pretty much like designed to make sure that people don't get unemployment. benefits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, and that's okay. I mean, I shouldn't say it's okay, but you can mask over that problem when you have like three, four percent unemployed. Um, You're approaching Great Depression level unemployment numbers. uh, Then it becomes a a lot less sustainable. Um, The progressive wing of the Democratic Party has been arguing for Medicare for all. Uh, For a long time uh, And people said Oh that will never work You know this is America We don't do that kind of stuff here Well now again When you have 30 some percent of people Out of work And no insurance I guarantee you The Obamacare exchanges Aren't going to be able to handle that People can't afford COBRA benefits uh, And even Trump now is saying We will cover the cost Of coronavirus treatment And so again I don't think it's a big step For The next government, like whoever it's going to be, to step in and be like, okay, well, the government covered coronavirus costs, and we were all okay, Uh, or you know, we all like came out of it all right. Like, why not Medicare for all? Like, I I think that a lot of those things are going to change. I think another thing that's going to change, um, you know, we were talking about that that documentary the other day, or just actually yesterday, like the oh yeah, the the, uh, Massachusetts prime lab thing, the the how to fix a drug scandal. Yeah, how to fix a drug scandal. I mean, it just, it's sort of like if you want to know, uh, to me, like if, if history has shown anything uh, or like how societies fall to pieces and tumble, it's like you find the people that are the most important, yet the most underappreciated, and that's the leverage point,
1: right? And right. so, like
0: in this case, you know, we had, you had two uh, drug lab chemists in Massachusetts, like one in Boston one in Amherst, who for, you know, various different reasons were not doing their jobs, and, you know, you had tens of thousands of drug cases thrown out because the evidence was no good, and you think that, you know, we have a whole system built on, you know, like we were supposed, like we supposedly have a a prosecutorial system built on ethics and integrity and, you know, crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's, and clearly that didn't happen um in, in that case and turning to society at large like what has this pandemic shown us? Like, is it lawyers like you and me that are deemed essential? I right. Mean, no, like, right. not at all. I mean, there are lawyers who probably should be, uh, but they're not where we practice. Oh, who certainly is it? Not. <laughs> it's grocery store workers. It's delivery drivers. It's agricultural workers. And we, our society has thrived on those over, like those overworked, underpaid, you know, underappreciated individuals and I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling that when this is all over, they're going to be like, hey, you know, when you were all holed up in your uh, apartments or your homes eating takeout and watching Netflix that we put our lives on the line to deliver, like, they're, like, they're not going to go back to that. I-, I just don't think that they will. I mean, maybe they will, but I, I just think that this has revealed so many problems and in, in, in attempting to address them right like the trump administration whether it wants to or not like unwittingly or not is setting the stage i think for a profound societal transformation and um i maybe mean, you know one thing i turn the floor over to you andrew like i realized that 2008 was a moment where this could have happened and it didn't and i and i do like i am sympathetic or i i understand the argument that well we had this sort of moment before right like the Meltdown of the global financial sector, uh, but it wasn't this bad, right? Like right. it was not as bad as this. And already now, you're seeing, I think, a little bit more accountability, anyway, or, or a lot more anger over um, the the bailouts that were passed, right? Right. Um, like the you know the slush the slush fund that the treasury is going to basically oversee. So there, there is all of that going. Uh, I mean, the, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that, um, you know, this is not, this is not over. Um, like, Biden has not won the Democratic nomination yet. Um, but you know, that's, that's a whole other can of worms that maybe we can get into. Right. So,
1: um, <laughs> yeah. I, the, I... the
0: virus, like, the virus uh, and its path, you know, its course through the United States, like, is not over. Right, Not by a long shot. Um, And, you know, there's still so much that's unknown, which is, again, why I sort of don't want to predict, but, I mean, I just have this feeling, right? Like, I can't justify it with, you know, like evidence and lay it on down the line, but I have this feeling, uh, for better or for worse, um, that that things are going to be profoundly different.
1: I think... it's it's kind of like what I was saying where on the one hand like yes I just I don't understand how I don't understand how we come out of this without completely restructuring the way our society looks right but on the other hand if we just go back to pretending that it it never happened then it's that's you know that I that's not gonna be surprising to me either um, I think what we are seeing and I, I think the real question is whether or not this is going to be enough um, this is finally going to uh, be enough of an event that it pushes all of these tensions to the forefront in a way that they can't be ignored. And I'm trying to think of like how I want to how I want to phrase this. So I I am comfortable with my assessment that neither the Democratic Party nor the Republican Party, as they are currently structured, in this country have any interest in actually being agents of that societal change right you know what i mean like i don't think i don't think that you're going to get get the 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 kind of restructuring and change that is needed i don't think that's going to come from either the democrats or the republicans now I would certainly say that the Republicans are much more open to doing that kind of change, but I am also much more terrified of what their version of that change looks like. Um, I think something that we've seen in the way that the Trump administration has handled this is that a lot of their approach to it has been how can we make money off of it, uh, yeah. and the way that they are the way that they are distributing supplies and things like that. And I think if you if you put the restructuring of society to address these uh, these exposed tensions, you put that in the hand of a right wing ideology of the Republicans, then you're going to be left with a much more punitive and much more um, hierarchi- hierarchical, hierarchically enforced society. I guess is the word, right? Like. There, the mm-hmm. there, it's you're gonna have a much more rigid class structure. Um, it's gonna be much more punitive. Um, it's going to be less forgiving, and it is going to be. You know, I think I don't want to get into like my you know my leftist tropes here, but like I think it really is you know the old the old saying of socialism or barbarism, and if you are going to, I think the Republicans are much more willing to go the barbarism route,
0: and I don't sure, I mean, I, I, I don't like, I don't right. necessarily disagree with you, but I mean, at the, at the same time, like.
1: So ultimately, ultimately, my point is, I don't know, I don't know what route this change comes from. Then, right? Because well, I, I think, think
0: there's going to be a lot more pressure from below, right? than there has been previously. What, is that, and I
1: mean- what does that look like, though, Alex? Because, I mean, this is... I don't know how you can... I don't know how that can happen if if the plan is to do it through electoral politics, because we're seeing that it doesn't matter what... what um, it doesn't matter what below pressure there is going to be, because as long as the... As long as the Democrats are in charge of their own nominating process, they are not going to—they are not going to nominate someone that, that threatens the party structure or the party's interests. And that means that a lot of the people that are being the most stressed um, by this by this crisis, the ones that we are seeing those inherent tensions. Of, you know, you are a, uh, you, you know, like the, it's all of these, all of these jobs up until two months ago were considered low-skilled labor, and now suddenly they're essential, right? The people right. that are the well, people that are working those jobs, they don't vote in Democratic primaries. So how is that interest ever going to be represented in the Democratic Party? Is, is kind of my point, and so that's why I don't see either of either party as being a vehicle for change in the way you sure. we well, want it
0: to be. I mean, I guess a couple things. I mean, you know, one, um, certainly like parties have changed their, their alignments uh, throughout, you know, history. Um, and I mean, so that's one. I mean, two is there is a lot of discussion now that we are going to sort of have a national a vote by mail um sort of system uh, go into place. Uh, I think that opens up the electorate in certain areas that uh, in, in a good way for Democrats that hasn't previously been there before. and and yes, like I, I understand all of the other structures uh, that you discussed, but I mean so much of this, I think has been built on, you know, I, I don't want to say like just apathy, but like hopelessness, right? Or, like, right. this, this attitude, and, like, you see it all over the internet, that, like, oh, like, both parties are the same, like, nothing I do really matters. Uh, this is one of those moments where it's sort of like, you know what, yeah, it does matter. <laughs> and, you know, when you consider, like, such a low, the low participation rate that we have, maybe this changes it. You know, maybe it doesn't. Oh,
1: see, I think I'm, I'm reading this in the complete opposite way. <laughs> I'm so, I'm I'm reading this a completely opposite opposite way as you because I think I, I think it's totally fair and totally reasonable for people to look at how uh, both the Democrats and Republicans are completely mishandling this and I, you know obviously the Republicans are doing doing it worse. I mean they are like again it, it is just it's. It's almost indescribably evil how they how the Trump administration has handled this. But then on the other side, you've got Democrats that just cannot figure it out, right? Like Nancy Pelosi's answer to all of this, the, the continued problems and you know the next wave of uh, stimulus and helping people. Is to remove the state and local tax cap like the 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 credit cap so where you get to deduct your um, state and local taxes from your on your federal taxes removing the cap of that which only affects you know that really only matters for people making over two hundred thousand dollars a year and like you know those are not the people that are putting in that kind of tension so I think yeah. if, you are, if you are a Safeway worker and you're seeing those responses from both the Democrats and the Republicans, I think you're totally justified in saying that, yeah, neither of these parties have my interests in mind, so sure. why am I even going to bother with electoral
0: politics? Because I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that if you are looking for a vehicle on how to address those needs, right, Uh, It is much easier to... uh, I think it's much easier for the Democratic Party to be sort of reshaped and reformed than it is seeing a third party created or the the Republican Party changed, right, or some sort of middle-center ground party being created. And again, like, I could be completely wrong, but, you know, like, to go back to the Russian Revolution, uh, for example... Uh, the Bolsheviks were not a a, a serious party uh, in the pre in the pre-revolutionary czar's parliament, the Duma. They were yeah. not at all. Uh, even throughout the revolution, uh, they were not the the party that a lot of people would have predicted uh, would have been on top. I mean, in fact, like the Socialist Revolutionaries, which were much more popular in the countryside, uh, were much more popular amongst peasants, who are the bulk of the country, you know, they won the the most seats to the Constituent Assembly, so, you know, you never know, I mean, I guess that's Mm -hmm. that's the whole point, I mean, maybe this is what leads to the implosion of the two-party system in the United States, as it's currently constructed, Uh, I mean, I, you know, it's all sort of up in the air now, but I mean, to think that there are people out there that, I don't mean, I, I could be wrong, right, I mean, I'll preface all of this where I could be totally wrong, uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, out. I'm not trying to be authoritative on this. I mean, I just, I, I have this sense that, you know, again, like in talking about apathy, right, like in, in talking about how parties change, right, right, look at, for example, where the Tea Party came from, seemingly out of nowhere, to become no, a huge force. There was a
1: lot of, there was a lot of, um, <laughs> dark money and major, you know, like major funding from right-wing organizations that went into the Tea Party movement. I think I think the the problem here is that um again, like these, you know, low-skill to essential workers, right? Like they were already a demographic that didn't vote. So there's it's there is not an incentive for either of the major parties to um try and reach that demographic because they you know, they, they don't they don't vote um and, and and i don't want this to be i don't want this to be construed as me like you know Vote shaming, like vote shaming or scolding people for not voting, because they don't vote for a number of reasons, right? And it's and it's a number and variety of reasons that aren't their fault, but uh, for reasons that are put systematically in place to keep them from voting. And um, this is, you know, like so. This is why I think that there's the Democrats and Republicans are not interested in. Uh, courting the politics of those people that are, you know, suddenly being told that yeah, your your ten dollar an hour job at the grocery store is essential, and you have to come to work uh, and put your life on the line. Um, and there's so much systematic um, barriers put in place to make sure that that no one ever needs needs their vote. And You know, it just just, to me, it all seems like. Combine that again with what I said earlier about how I think that I I can't blame them for looking at the Democrats and Republicans and saying, like, yeah, neither of these people care about me. Um, I just, I don't know how. I don't know. I I don't know what more is going to have to happen in order to to motivate. A mass of people that doesn't vote and doesn't participate in the electorate um to do so in a way that's going to overcome all of the systematic barriers right because it's like I, I don't know what the actual numbers on on this are as far like as far as it I don't know what the how the actual math works out, but I feel like there's probably some type of calculation you can do where you know, like we need to motivate 10 grocery workers to get one of them to show up at the polls. You know what I mean? Right. Like,
0: yeah, sure. And I mean, I guess like I this is, I guess, what I'll say, because uh, I mean, I think I do kind of want to move on to some other things. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, this is what I'll say is if you looked at if you looked at Russian society in 1914, before the outbreak of World War One, it was a predominantly peasant society. Uh, it was a, a very religious society, right? I mean, its government was led by someone who um, was, you know, supposedly, like, ordained by God, right? Um, and, it, you know, it was mostly a, uh, you know, rural agricultural society. You know, flash forward uh, 20 years, and it has lost millions of people to famine and war. Uh, its government is officially atheist, Um, It's people have undergone one of the largest urbanization, like, you know, transformations in all of human history. Uh, It goes from being an industrial backwater to, you know, a a superpower Mm -hmm. that uh, has an industrialized economy, uh, has a nuclear bomb, is the first society to put a man into space, uh, to put a man-made object into space, and then put a man into space. And, I mean, this... Looking back, like, this seems like it, you know, happened very gradually, but, like, in some ways, like, it was very sudden. So, I mean, I guess my point would be that you never know at what point uh, this is going to happen. And in terms of, like, building the New Deal coalition, like we talked about earlier, that was a lot of people that didn't really vote either, right? Um, Right. And, I mean, I guess that you, you never, I mean, you never know, you know, where this is going to go. Uh, and so, you know, what I would say is, and maybe I'm more optimistic than you uh, in this regard, which is strange because, you know, usually like, I'm very pessimistic, <laughs> but, I mean, this, this could be a moment, and it might not happen. You know, I could be completely wrong, um, but, you know, maybe this is the time, uh, or maybe not right now, but in two – like, the next election in two years, you know, who knows, like a time when either the Democratic Party starts to fundamentally shift or – For two reasons, one like the centrists and and you know the others are like okay we like our previous positions are untenable, or the progressive wing starts to do a lot better. You know I I don't know, but if there was sort of ever a moment where it could happen, uh, I think it could be this one. Uh, So that's sort of my opinion. I I share a lot of the same doubts that you do, Andrew. I mean I recognize all of the obstacles and all the structures. Uh, that have been that have been put in place. I mean, I understand, you know, the long road that it's taken to get to now. But you know, overnight, sometimes I shouldn't say overnight, but in like a matter of months, a uh, year, sometimes things can like profoundly change. You know, like I, like I said, like living on both sides of the Russian Revolution must have been completely stunning, right, to see that profound sort of change in society, right, um, and. Uh, I guess to sort of transition to our next point, right, which is sort of like, sorry for the (laughs) poor segue, but, I mean, it sort of feeds into what we were talking about because, like, you know, here we are debating what we think is going to happen, you know, based on what we know now, based on what's happened before, and, you know, really, like, the, the powerful thing about these historical moments is, like, even someone like a... A Lenin or a George Washington, like whatever historical figure that you want to talk about, like they don't know what's going to happen. You know, like Abraham Lincoln wasn't, I don't think, could ever have been really confident, at least until the, you know, like around, I guess, Gettysburg, I guess, that like the North was going to win the Civil War, right? And so you you just, you know, you you don't know what's going to happen, and that is sort of an amazingly powerful thing right in, in that like the history like the future is not written yet like it, it's not uh and, and on the flip side like it's very terrifying because we're living in a moment too and this also might be why i think one of those moments where there is sort of a profound change one way or the other in that like this is exposed like again so many problems and i think it has shown so many people that like all the people that you think know what's, what's going on, right, like any sort of human society is built on this idea that, oh, well, clearly the person above me in the hierarchy knows what they're doing, otherwise they wouldn't be there. Uh, that all of that is, is not true at all. Like, nobody is knows what they're doing. Like, everybody's faking it till they make it, like, right. so sort of, to, you know, to use that expression. And so, like, in this moment, like, you know, remember that. Right? I mean, remember that, like, the future that, that we have, it's not determined now. Uh, and, and on the flip side, too, like, be careful um, in thinking I, I get, like, how do I want to say this? Like, you know, be careful in what you are reading out there and, and what you are, you know, learning about this, because so much is up in the air right now. Uh, I mean, really, like, I, I do think we are living in one of these profound sort of moments. Have you ever heard of Thomas Kuhn before? Like, I can't remember the exact title of the book, but it's like The Structure of Scientific Revolutions.
1: Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I haven't read the book.
0: I mean, like, he wrote it in the early 60s. I mean, you, you can kind of just read reviews of it or articles, and you can get the main, you know, gist of the of the book. But, I mean, it, it's sort of a very interesting theory, uh, which I think that, you know, is sort of applicable to now. Um, and and it's been a while since I've read it. But, I mean, the the idea is, is when you talk about scientific, re- like, revolutions, right, like whether it's Newtonian physics or Eisenstein, or Eisenstein, that's the Soviet director, uh, Einstein, um you know, regardless, like, I think that we're, we're taught that science is a sort of like a, uh, an accumulation effect, right? Like, knowledge right. on top of knowledge on top of knowledge, and that's how scientific progress happens, right? Like, everyone is sort of indebted to the person that comes before, and just Still as this knowledge, variance, you know, builds about. up, we, we hit new breakthroughs. And, you know, Thomas Kuhn's whole point was like, you know, really what happens is there's like a dominant paradigm, Uh, In the scientific world, you know whether that's the idea that the uh, sun or that the Earth is the center of the you know of our galaxy and everything orbits around the Earth as opposed to the Copernican theory, right? That the you know that we orbit the sun. Uh, And really, what happens is these dominant paradigms take hold one way or the other. And really, what you see scientists doing is they try to make their findings, they try to make all of their sort of, um, their theses and their, their, their ideas fit into whatever the dominant paradigm is, and it's only when the dominant paradigm begins to, uh, when it's unable to provide the answers, right, when they can no longer make their scientific findings and their information fit into the current paradigm, it's only then That the old paradigm collapses and a new one is is reborn so i mean that sort of builds on what we were talking about before right like and and i just feel like we are living in this this era where like the old paradigm is collapsing like all these sort of things that were sort of held to be political maxims in america right like small government um you know capitalism is good um, or like, you know, g- capitalism is the uh, sort of end of human economic history. There's no better system. I think that like if you look back at all the events that we've talked about, like 2008 um, and, and even in talking about government too, like the sort of tradeoff we made after 9-11 for an increased ex- security state at the expense of individual liberties, like all of that, right created sort of like a new paradigm and at least so far like we've been able to make our current world like more or less fit in this paradigm like you go back to 2008 well you know why why were we able to explain that away oh well it was just a bunch of bankers that made some you know stupid high risk decisions and we've gotten rid of that like they've they've learned their lessons so something like this really isn't going to happen again (laughs) right you know um so we can sort of, like, shift that away, right? We, like, you know, sweep that under the rug. And and now here we are again, whereas, like, in our lifetimes, you know, we're both in our 30s, uh, we've seen massive government intervention in the economy already twice in our lifetimes. And, again, like, I, I just don't think that and, – and the funny thing, too, is it both started under when were Republicans in the White House, Right. Um, you know, who knows how it's going to continue in this case, you know, if there's going to be a Democrat in the next White House. But anyway, like, they both start uh, – or they, they both um, – where am I going with this? Like, I, I guess my point is, is, like, I think the paradigm is collapsing. Like, this idea that business, the economy, is somehow separate from – and, and is best at regulating itself and dealing with its own problems, I think that is falling by the wayside, Right. I think that that is becoming more and more unsustainable. So is like the paradigm that we live in now of, you know, whatever you want to call this, like um, neoliberal American capitalism with um, a legislative branch that's deferred most of its authority, to the executive branch and a judiciary that's, you know... Uh, has always to be apolitical right and sort of above the fray and I think there's a lot more going on that's exposing that as a complete fraud as well Um, but like I think the paradigm is collapsing I guess that's my point is it going to collapse in six months is it going to collapse in two or three years Uh, I don't know I I don't know that Uh, but I do think that it is happening you know and what the new paradigm is going to be I have no idea Uh, but I I just, I don't think that we're going to go back to the way things used to be. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I think that the former Biden sort of mantra of like, hey, it's just me, you know, silly Uncle Joe, who, you know, no one takes really seriously at family dinners, but gosh, he's just so darn lovable. Um, I don't know if that survives. Right. I mean, I don't
1: don't know if I yeah, I mean, because I don't.
0: I, I mean, I, maybe he winds up being the nominee, but I think that his 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 rhetoric, his you know slogans and stuff, or the whole you know uh, the whole like uh, reason for his campaign is kind going to be dramatically different.
1: Well, yeah, and it's this is, I think this is another um, this is another example of kind of that I don't know, like my own my own personal cognitive dissonance around some of this stuff because uh, again. Like I look at I look at the situation and this the the serious mishandling of this crisis, and I say, you know all of my rational thinking and logic says that there's absolutely no way a president should be able to get reelected you like, it, it, if you keep all else equal every like no one should be able to get reelected in these circumstances and yet i just i cannot help but feel like it's going to happen that, that biden is going to lose that there is there's just some he is not he is not the man for this moment and this what you were saying like this this idea of that um you know he might get the nomination But I don't think this let's go back to pretending that everything is fine is an answer that is going to resonate because, you know, like all of these contradictions are being highlighted and being exposed. And you're starting to see, you know, like it's, you're starting to see people kind of get, I don't want to say radicalized, but like, coming to these kind of realizations that the only reason that we don't it's it's not an it's not like a a a fundamental law of the universe that we don't have a robust safety net or that we don't have um means to provide uh medical care for those that don't have insurance right like that, that we can't is, like yes, build,
0: you know, we can't manufacture our own N95 yeah, masks it, yeah. and manufacture our own ventilators. Like, did you know that like even Russia sent a plane of stuff to the United well, States? This did is, you see that?
1: This, yes, and and what just blows my mind, and why I am I'm, I'm seriously worried about the 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 capacity of Democrats to handle this and actually meet this this historical crisis. Is their reaction to that was that it's bad, that it's bad that, that the United States is getting help from Russia, that that this is that that um, that somehow that like we are being you know that we are uh, that accepting help is like debasing ourselves in a way that we should, you know that it's it's better to die. Uh, drowning on your own um, body's immune response than accept ventilators from a country that you've had historical problems with. And it's, yeah. that is, that's just batshit insane. <laughs> like, I don't know what, what kind of person has that mentality.
0: <laughs> I, you, know, I, here, you know, here's something else, though, that, like, I'm, I know this is a little bit of, like, an aside but, you know, like when I went to my caucus, the Democratic caucus here in Colorado, and, and this was, you know, like before the the virus really like, I mean, this is the first week of March. Um, so it was super, it was, no, it was, sorry, it was after Super Tuesday. It was like the, like a week after, uh, but it was still before we all so, sort of had to shelter in place. Like, you know, I was like the only person there for a while from my precinct. And so, I mean, I guess like another thing that I that I sometimes wonder, like if there was a concerted effort and like looking over at another precinct, like it was like a bunch of people that were much older than me, or just let's just say that, uh, who look like they've been coming to the the caucus together for like years. And you're you're just sort of like, okay, wow, like these are sort of the the, some of the decision makers. And it's like, man, if I could have just maybe I should have tried to convince more of my friends to go out and show up to this. And so, you know, maybe it was that experience that sort of colored my, my opinion, but it's like, it's not like, there's not a whole lot of barriers in place to you know, sort of like take on the institution, so to speak. Like, the, the opportunities are there I guess. Like, whether or not people want to follow through with them, like, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but um, like, I guess my point is, is like, I, I I I understand where you're coming from, and I I do sometimes wonder about, like, these thought processes, like the, you know, the whole logic behind, you know, oh, we shouldn't take this aid from Russia, you know, those sort of attitudes are, like, the, you know, the response to this crisis, Um, and, I mean, I understand they had to make compromises with the Republicans to get something done, but still, at the same time, you know, I anyway, that's neither here nor there, but I guess, like, my, my point is, is, like, Yes, like they're there now, but what says that they're going to be there in, you know, a year, right? I mean, like the, the, um, the, like Nicholas II's family, right? That line of, um, that line of czars ruled for over 200 plus years. So who, you know, who would think that that line would ever go extinct there or that there would never be a monarch, you know, like I, I don't,
1: well, this is, I don't is, know if I anyone could have predicted that. This is kind of the, it, it it's. it's it's that old Nelson Mandela line where, like, everything seems impossible until it, it isn't, right? Um, it is – my point is that it is it is inconceivable to me right now living in this moment how this pot – like, how, how the type of change is going to to look. And and I, when I say inconceivable, I mean that in, like, the most literal sense of the word. Like, I cannot conceive in my mind how we get to whatever it is we're at after all this, right? Like, I just – I don't see – the lines connecting events aren't there because I can't predict the future.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that was but, sort of another, like, to go back to Thomas Kuhn, you know, and so does later works – Uh, and and again, like, it's been a while since I've looked at this, but, like, the basic idea was, like, you know, not only are these paradigms so fundamentally different, right, like Newtonian physics versus, you know, like Einstein and the theory of relativity or, um, you know, like, theories about, you know, germs and the spread of disease, like, whatever you want to talk about, like, whatever sort of scientific revolution, you know, another thing that Kuhn said was, like, well, not only are these two very different paradigms, but someone who sort of forms their worldview, uh, for lack of a better word, like, comes of age uh, in in one of these paradigms, cannot communicate with, like, cannot understand someone who comes from another one, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. They're sort of fundamentally unable to communicate and understand these different paradigms, and I sort of wonder if, like, yeah, like, the reason why we cannot foresee and why no one can foresee where things are going to go until you know way after the fact, is because we are living in a paradigm right now that like it's sort of all we know, and we cannot foresee what it would look like on the other side.
1: Well, I definitely think there is there is an experience of that with um, older, you know, Democrats and like the the liberals in you know that that have that have been around longer than us, and so they don't have their entire lives defined by, you know, world-shattering events. Um, you know, they, they can also... They can see the same contradictions and the same holes in society being exposed as we are, but it, it's not... They just have that extra... They just have a little bit of difficulty making that extra step in saying that, no, the 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 problem isn't just this one unique circumstance the problem is is that this was a a systematic flaw that is now being exposed and <clears throat> unless you change the system then you're not going to ever actually completely address it right like it's it, it's it's the idea that that they're constantly they can only see the symptoms. They can never actually see the underlying cause. Yeah, because they were never. They didn't. You know, they they've got completely different lived experiences that that make that harder to harder to see because they you know remember a time when the system worked, and I don't. Um, but yeah, I I I think. The scary part about that is that when you're looking at a situation where, th- if you're looking at a situation where fundamenta- fundamental foundational change appears inevitable, but you don't know how that's going to come about, and you don't have any way to grab hold of that change and kind of direct it into um, a more just and equitable form I'm worried at the way that it's going to shake out right because I think my my fear in that seeing that the, the Democrats are not able to rise to this moment is that that leaves a vacuum open for you know the more dark dark side and the, the the darker elements to make that change in, a, in their place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I, I I don't know. I mean it's that's I guess that's sort of the whole point of this episode, right is that there is sort of no way that we can that we can predict. What's going to happen and, and where this is going to go?
1: Because uh, so, I mean, and... maybe maybe you can maybe you can answer this. Like, I, but I I just I. There has to have been people, in, in I guess like the late stage Russian Empire, there had to have been some people saying, "You don't understand how bad it is, <laughs> and you <laughs> have to you I have mean... to get you have to understand that if you don't do something now to fix this." we're all going to die. The entire class is going were, to die.
0: You know, there were plenty of populists and other reformers that, you know, were talking for a long time, saying, like, look, there's a lot of fundamental dis- discontent in the villages. Um, you know, there's a lot of discontent um, throughout, like, in, in urban areas, right? Um, there, There is... Um, you know there there are there were I mean there are all sorts of problems like they sort of say like you know that the empire died a death of a thousand cuts right I mm-hmm. mean they they had problems with um, uh, like Poland uh, Ukraine right like the flowering of nationalism right and all of these sort of minority peoples that wanted independence for their own homelands um, you know they had problems in villages with peasants that were you know tired of like. Tired of the of the way things were, and tired of the fact that like the, no, the you know nobility still owned a lot of a lot of land, uh, and they wanted more of it. You know, there were factory workers that were uh, that were dismayed and and upset uh, by the fact that like it was difficult for them to form unions. You know, like their lives were extremely difficult. Um, but and, and you know there were plenty of reformers, and you know, like we talked about land reform in Russia, like the Stolypin reforms. You know there were reforms at the local level through education, um, and but I mean you know there, I don't know how those things would have worked out, right? I mean like that's sort of the great if uh, or what if I should say of Russian history is like without World War One, like does this all happen? Uh, you know who knows, right? Um, and and it's sort of something again like to go back like. I I don't um, like at the risk of repeating myself because they keep saying like we don't know what's going to happen but I mean to me like it's just it's remarkable the parallels right Uh, in terms of like people's faith in leadership you know people's faith in institutions um, people's um, you know like how the economy is structured and you know again like I don't know like when it's all going to change but I just have this profound sense that it will You know, yeah. Um, And whether that comes from the Democratic Party as it's currently constituted, like I don't know. You know, I mean, if if you think about it this way, I mean, like look at look at what happened with the Democratic Party in the fifties and the sixties over the civil rights movement, right? Like it was this weird sort of alliance between northern, like you know, unions and northern urban voters and southern, you know, like the southern Democrats, Uh, and that completely fell apart. Uh, in the civil rights era, uh, and, you know, and allowed the Republican Party to move in with the Southern strategy, you know, there was the whole, like, Reagan revolution in the the 80s, so I guess my point is, is, like, yes, like, I know, and I mean, and I think another part of it, too, Andrew, is, like, you know, we have grown up, right, in sort of, like, the Bill Clinton era of the Democratic Party, which was like essentially the third way, right? Like in right. Britain, it was Tony Blair's Labor Party, which is like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we're not more the Labor Party than than the Democratic Party, but like, you know, oh, no, we're fundamentally for free markets. You know, we just sort of believe in, um, I guess, making them slightly more humane. Like, maybe that's a way to, maybe that's a way to put it. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if that's going to, if that's going to continue. You know, I, I really don't. Um, I mean, and another thing that I'm kind of amazed, given what we how we always bring it up, but, like, another thing that we don't know about and how things are going to change is, like, you know, the thing with coronavirus, right, is, like, it has enmeshed itself so deeply in people's lives so suddenly, and it's provoked a response, right? Right. And I'm sort of wondering now, like, as the climate crises, like, continue to mount, is that going to be another huge moment of change right like if that you know if that happens at all Um, but I don't know like I I just like as I sit in my apartment and I you know go back and read some of my old textbooks and and other like you know monographs uh, when I'm not you know when I'm not working remotely or or when I read stuff you know online from historians that I know about like I I just have this sense you know like I just have this sense that like things are going to profoundly change uh, and, and, you know, going to back what, to what we were talking about earlier, like, I don't know where it's going to come from, right? And, and I, I don't know, like, in what capacity it's it's going to be, right? I mean, even going back to, like, the Russian Revolution, you know, like, Lenin was living in Switzerland, uh, gets on a train, you know, is sent into Russia, gets aid from the Germans, right? And, you know, topples a regime that had... Lasted like you know, in some form or, or another, um, a monarch had ruled Russia for jeez, like close to like a thousand I years. Say it was a long time. Uh, <laughs> and and so that's you know y- you just you just don't know. And I, I just I wonder if uh, going back to like the whole Bill Clinton neoliberal part of it, like that's the only Democratic Party we've known, right. You know, we've never seen sort of more like radical 60s version of it. And, you know, I sort of like the other thing that I think about, too, is, you know, and this was very sort of disconcerting to see the lack of voting voter participation from young people in these primaries. But I now wonder, too, if like the coronavirus is going to change a lot of that, because I do think there are a lot of young, educated people out there, smart people uh, who have, you know, for one reason or the other, has sort of remained, you know, I don't want to say aloof, but, like, remained outside of the, the sphere of, of our electoral political system, and, you know, and we're barely getting by, as you said, right? Like, and there's all these obstacles in their way. Well, you know, now what's happening? That job that they were barely getting by on and had to work all hours of the day on to get by, it's gone. What, what you know, what are you doing now? <laughs> Right, like I think that that on some level too has uh, a a huge motivating factor. You know, one of I think going back to the Russian Revolution, um, the the some of the most important supporters of the of the Bolsheviks were the soldiers. You know, not not just because they were the ones who had all the guns, uh, but because you know they were peasants, they were workers, and it was very easy to say like, okay, you know, you've toiled for your entire life. What do you have to show for it? You know, it's time for a change. And, um, and, that's, and those systems that had kept them in place, right, whether that was the factory floor or whether that was the, the field, um, you know, whatever it was, that was removed by the war because they're taken out of that context, right? They're no longer on the field. They don't have those, those ties that are by them anymore. Uh, those are gone. And in, in this way, too, you know, we are a society, and I know we've gone on for a while, and I apologize that you're going to have to edit this, but, and, and maybe this <laughs> is going to be a topic for <laughs> another show, but, like, you know, so much, I think, of the American mantra of... Um, is built on, like, that idea of, like, the Protestant work ethic, right, that, like, you know, you need to go out, like, especially, like, I think where you and I are from, right, like, rural parts of the country, you know, you got to go out and you got to get a job, you got to provide, like, it's good to be a hard worker, you know, that's an important quality, um, you know, all, all of that stuff, and, you know, that has its place, but how, what is that, what do you do with that in, in this time, right, when, no, when, hard, when a lot of people aren't working, you know, what do you now, what do, you now do when um, the, the whole reason that you worked, right, was to get money to pay the rent to get that health insurance if you're lucky enough to get it that way, right? Like, all these things, like, if you look at it in some way, uh, right, like, it, uh, close to universal employment is, like, the only way that America works. Right. And <laughs> even then, you know, as you've talked it's about, very, like, it's, it's very it's not great. Yeah, it's very precarious, right? So we're we at a precarious state with near universal employment, right? What happens now when you're talking about Great Depression era numbers? I mean that's that's a time period or that's that's a recipe for change. You know, like looking at it the other like looking at a different country, for example, like if you're not watching Babylon Berlin on Netflix, you totally should. It's a great series about Weimar Germany and kind of Germany in this era. Of also great social upheaval uh, right before the Nazis took over, but like I, what, and and maybe this is sort of scary because this goes to what you were pointing out, Andrew. But like I don't, you know, the Nazi <laughs> yeah. Party would not have risen to power if there if there were if there were not like thirty forty percent of Germans out of work.
1: Right, and this, and this is that's that's actually interesting because I I saw just one of the most I, I don't like just most baffling takes on Twitter the other day, which was. It was uh, it was someone, and in her bio, she said she's a historian. I don't know if that's true or not, but she was responding to the to the criticism that like it's like that There's very little reason for uh, Sanders supporters or people of the left to actually vote for Joe Biden, especially if you're in like a safe blue state. And her response was. Um, and this was also because there's all this, because there's the, the, you know, now the new credible sexual assault allegation against Joe Biden, and it's it's like I don't know who, you know, why should I be forced to choose like which, which rapist to vote for? And you know her response was like, well, uh, if my choice was, I, I would happily, um, vote for vote for the Weimar Republic over. Uh, the Nazis, and it's like, well, okay, what happens when you get the Weimar Republic, right? Like that's that's the whole point. The whole point is if you if you keep doing these these half measures and trying to, um, y- you know, just ignore the problem and hope it goes away, then you wind up with genocide and disaster.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like the the response to that would be like you know. Maybe what the Twitter user was trying to say was, you know, and again, it's sort of like it's not a very good comparison because, you know, like in, with hindsight, like we know what what the, the National Socialist Workers Party is going to bring. Right. Right. But, I mean, I think the point is, is like, would you know, I rather have an unstable democracy than a, you know, an air quotes, like stable authoritarian regime? And yeah, I think the choice is a no brainer. You know, you go through the Weimar Republic, but um, you know, in in this in this time too. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I guess I disagree with you. I mean, like I understand everything that's like going on, Um, the allegations against Joe Biden, and like they're they are troubling, and like I don't want to try to diminish them, but I just have this like I don't know. I mean, it's like something where again to go back to Germany, like the left was like so obsessed with. Who is the most, you know, like who is the, the the like who is the rightful heir to the to the left of Germany? Was it like the Socialist Party? Was it the Communist? You know, blah blah blah. And there was so much infighting that they could not raise an effective opposition to um, the rise of the Nazis. And well, I mean, I guess because the... they
1: were also undercut by the by the Liberal Party in Germany. Right? Like, let's not let's not com- let's not completely put all the blame on. On on the left here, right? Like there was there was a choice was presented for for liberals and the centrist centrist parties of Germany. Was, do you want to align with the communists or the fascists? And they chose the fascists.
0: Yeah, I mean. But still, at the same time, too, like, there, there was a lot of infighting just in general in, in German politics. And so I guess my point is, is, like, you know, do I have my disagreements with, and maybe this is where I was sort of going all along, right? But, like, you know, do I have my disagreements with, um, like, the Joe Biden wing of the party? Like, certainly I do. Um, but I would way rather try to hammer out those differences while we're, you know, like, while uh, we're in power than not. Um but, um, you know, to go back, like, we should probably wrap this up, but, I mean, you know, to go back to my original point, like, you know, we we have never seen this level of unemployment before, you know, like, we're, we're approaching, like, Great Depression-era levels of right. unemployment. Um, we might even surpass those, uh, and, and, like, and so I guess my point is is that, you know, to go back to what I said before, like, so much of the United States is contingent on like what social net we do have is contingent on having a job so what happens when you get rid of the job right you're all of a sudden now putting people in a situation where you know they don't have work you know they don't have these commitments that they used to have Uh, that makes I think someone a lot more and, and they've lost what little they've had right like that's gone and I think that is much more of a way to radicalize people uh, than has been seen before in in any level of American history, right? And so that, I mean, that's out there. I mean, now granted, like, the Trump administration could go the route that, like, I mean, they sort of have tried with the payment, payroll protection, the PPP or whatever, you know, they've tried with that. Um, Is is it going to be enough? You know, I don't know, but like I don't know like there there are forces out there man like I guess that's all I'm going to say is like you know like the, the 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 cards you know the cards have been dealt and you know they're out there in the middle and you're looking at them and you're like okay like you know th- this could be something big um it could tur- it could turn out to be totally nothing uh it could turn out to be not what anybody expected uh but I I just think that they're out there
1: I think it's this is this is the I think ultimately The question that's going to come down, what it's going to come down to is how, how quickly do economies bounce back after this? And I think what we're going to find is that the countries that actually prepared and addressed the employment issues more directly and head on, are going to find it a lot easier to, you know, basically pick up where uh, they left off, right? So, like, Denmark is—what Denmark is doing is basically the government is saying, you keep your employees on payroll, and we will pay pay, uh, 80% of their wages. Well, yeah, I mean, well, well the, the Tories you're doing phone. that in the UK. It's right. like 75% right. or something like that. And so what that, what that means is that when all this is over, when they, when they give the all clear, people will basically just be able to go back to the job that they had before and carry on about their daily life. I mean, there's definitely going to be lasting like, psychological impacts and things like that, um, but no one is leaving that situation not knowing where their job is or what their housing situation is. That's not the case in the United States, and I think that is why, um, you know, the 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 overwhelming change is much more likely because there's that added yeah. uncertainty. So, yeah. Um, so, but yeah,
0: no, this was. Uh, I guess we should. I don't know. What we're going to talk about next episode of. Uh, just because things change so so rapidly i mean we might look at like how what russia ukraine are doing uh, to respond to the coronavirus but um we'll see yeah so all right everybody Uh, all right yes thanks for listening in um you know stay healthy stay safe
1: Потому я очень wash yeah,
0: is потому спокойный staggy, what a mocha could eat
1: a Без смысла обожаю гад поставь дно, мне вокруг ислам ты не пришла.